0: Let me see if I can get this right. It's company policy never to imply ownership in the event of a dildo. It's always a dildo, never your dildo. Yes, that is a great. That's my favorite line. It's usually
1: like a like an electric razor, nine times out of ten. But sometimes, and you think he's gonna say like a bomb or something. He's like All right, it's a dildo or it's a vibrator. He looks around to make sure no one's listening. <laughs> it's a vibrator. Hello, and welcome to My Favorite Movie Is, a podcast all about why we love our favorite movies. My name is Larry Fried, and I'm the creator and host of this show. If this is your first time listening, again, welcome to MFMI. If you're coming back after listening to a previous episode thank you so much i really do appreciate your time and your energy and your listenership uh today's episode is a real doozy we are talking to brian bittner one of the co-writers on the lessons from the screenplay and story mode youtube channels as well as one of the co-hosts of one of my favorite film podcasts beyond the screenplay all about his favorite movie the 1999 cultural landmark that is david fincher's fight club
0: It's like whenever someone's like, I don't agree with this character. It's like, you're not supposed to agree with them. They are there to challenge you. They're there to challenge the protagonist. And at the end of the movie, they are brought down. I think that that is what makes these movies challenging and interesting and fun, is that the antagonists are making good points even if they're not the character to be sort of trusted and and that you're supposed to be getting behind and rooting for. Guys, this episode is
1: filled to the brim with so many awesome conversations and topics. We talk about Fight Club and its place as the pinnacle of the unlikable protagonist genre of films. We also talk about how this film's CGI is just incredibly dated and why that's exactly why it works. Uh, We also talk about the film's iconic twist and how it still holds up to this day despite being maybe the most well-known film twist of all time outside of like Star Wars. This is easily one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded thus far and I cannot wait to share it with you right now. Well not like right right now because first I have to remind you that you know we go way past the red tape and deep into spoilers on every episode of my favorite movie is including this one. And I know I know everybody has seen Fight Club, but if you haven't seen Fight Club I mean, we talk about everything. The very ending of the film, the twist, of course, all of its many different facets. So go check out the film if you haven't already, then come back to us so you can enjoy this awesome episode. Oh, and also just one more piece of like spoilery housekeeping. Um, We go super film literate (laughs) in this episode and we talk about a number of different films like Nightcrawler and Collateral and Swingers and American Beauty and The Dark Knight and just like a ton of different movies. And I know that some of you may be sensitive to just going into a film as blind as possible. And you know, we do talk about specific scenes. So for everyone's sake, I made a list of all of the films that we talk about in any sort of specific detail in the show notes below, just in case you want to be on your guard. But for those of you who have seen Fight Club, uh, and uh, that's that's most of you, uh, let's just get this episode started.
0: Brian, let's do it. My name is Brian Bittner, and my favorite movie is Fight Club.
1: Brian Bittner, welcome. To my favorite movie is, how are you doing? Good, I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for being here. For those uh, who don't know who you are, which hopefully should be few, tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, where people might know your work from.
0: Uh, sure. So I write for um, the YouTube channel Lessons from the Screenplay, which is uh, run by Michael Tucker, and he's, he's the brainchild behind all of it. He brought on a small team, including myself and um, Trisha Arand and Alex Calleros and our producer, Vince Major. We have since launched a podcast called Beyond the Screenplay, where each week we we sort of... Lessons from the Screenplay is a very um, surgical, you know, look at yeah. a movie where we spend hours and hours and hours making a nine to 12 minute video that like really really focuses on one lesson beyond the screenplay allows us to let our hair down a little bit talk about how we feel about the movie and explore some lessons more in depth and all that kind of thing Um, and then we have also started a youtube channel called story mode which is um, looking at storytelling in video games we sort of break down what makes storytelling in video games such a special thing
1: all of that content is fantastic never disappoints so of course everybody should go check that out after you're done listening to this first very exciting today because we're talking about a film that is. One of the cultural cornerstone films, and that is, of course, Fight Club, directed by David Fincher. It's really interesting. You know, obviously, on this show, we want to cover a wide gamut of films, the most beloved to the hidden gems to everything in between. But Fight Club really is the movie, which is a weird way to put it because you don't, you, there's a wide variety of films. You don't want to, you know, just pick one to be, you know, the film that you feel like represents film culture in a way. But Fight Club, I find, is very representative of sort of like film fandom because so many people love Mm -hmm. it and so many people talk about it. And uh, I'm curious from your perspective, you saw it, when it was first coming out. So I'm curious for you, first of all, I mean, we're going to start the show like we always do, which is tell me about how you discovered this film, what your reactions were when you first saw it, and how did you see it? And then what was it like experiencing it when it came out? Because, you know, obviously it's a cult classic. It did not have as much of a bang when it first came out. So I'm wondering what that was like for you.
0: I, um, I had a friend in uh, around this time, 99. He was a freshman in college and I was a senior in high school. So he was in the college environment, right? So he was always down the the dorm hall from people who had movies or wanted to go to the movies or whatever. And I was still, you know, in high school and maybe I'd go to a movie once in a while, but I was still sort of discovering my love of, of film, I think. So he would come home for a weekend and he'd say, hey man, have you seen Bing John Malkovich? And I'd say, no. And he'd be like, let's go. And it'd be like 10 o'clock at night and he'd just take me to the theater and we'd go see it. And then come home again. Have you seen The Messenger, the new Luke Bassam movie? No, let's go. And we would take me and we'd go see it. Um, and then one of these was Fight Club, which at this point had was no longer in theaters for it's like primary run. But in our uh, hometown of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they had this theater that was like $2 to see a movie that was just out of theaters, but still not on like home video yet. And it's this grimy theater in kind of the bad part of town, which is just what a perfect way to see fight club for the, the first time. Place <laughs> to see fight club. Yeah.
1: You would literally meet people from fight club going <laughs> right. to see fight club.
0: Right. There were a lot of people with black eyes nodding at me as I left. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And, um, and I, I liked it a lot and I, and I forget at what point my film understanding was around at this point because I loved Seven and I don't know if I had like a real understanding of like, oh, this is the person who made Seven. Uh, I think I did, but not like in the way it was like still IMDb wasn't quite there yet to go on and start like poking around and seeing what people had done and that kind of thing. But I liked it a lot um, and i had already liked uh, Edward Norton and Brad Pitt and plenty of things I had seen. Helen Bottom Carter is great. And uh, but then I think it became to answer your second question about sort of like what, what was like the the tale of that, I think, was then I did go to college. The movie did come out on DVD and then I was able to, you know, to start watching it and kind of again, that freshman year of college experience of someone seen something that you haven't seen. And you're going to watch it together or like, have you heard of this like weird, obscure thing or, you know, so I remember watching it on my own in my dorm room. My girlfriend walked in. She saw the last 20 minutes, spoiled the ending. But she's like, I want to watch this movie now. So we watched it the next day. Then my roommate comes into the room. He sees the last 20 minutes, spoiled the ending. He's like, I want to watch this movie now. So we watched it the next day. And it was just that environment of of bringing your friends over and watching movies they haven't seen and that kind of thing. So I think there were a lot of movies around that time because 99 was such a jam-packed year of movies and like 2000 and 98 and even 2001. So it was like you would find those Johnny Darko and the Boondock Saints and these movies where maybe they didn't make this huge splash when they came out, but then everyone, you know, is like talking about them and now you're all watching them together. And now, next thing you know, you've watched them 10 times with your friends over the course of a year or something. So, yeah, I think Fight Club sort of started to permeate the the young male culture at that point which is a right. problem a little bit and we can get into that we definitely should get oh, into that we shall um, we shall <laughs> yeah but it just sort of became the movie that like now everyone has seen and everyone is quoting and everyone is talking about you know almost ad nauseum i think for a lot of people which is why some people are you know are critical of fight club just because it's like that song in the radio that you don't want to hear again <laughs> it's like the song's not <laughs> worse it's just you're you're sick of hearing it yeah you know, you know how many uh,
1: times have have some, has someone been like have you seen fight club Oh, my, my right. favorite movie is Fight Club. You know, there are these sort of hyper masculine films that have really been co opted uh, by certain people. But back then, it, it was obviously a much newer sensation. I'm curious, like, if, if you can remember at all, like, was there something about Fight Club that you maybe maybe like you hadn't seen before in movies or was there something about it that was particularly compelling
0: I, I definitely was forming this personality of I like movies that are really going to explore an idea you know most movies should have a theme and explore a theme but very few movies or not very few movies but a lot of them the theme is just this very thin layer on top of it uh, or you have to kind of dig into it and I like these movies that are sort of like we're gonna like really dig into something so when I was a teenager I was watching A Clockwork Orange and Natural Born Killers and Seven oh, wow. and a lot of <laughs> (laughs) David Lynch right and it's like these are all movies and even like even Kevin Smith right like these are all movies where you're going hey they're talking about something they're actually having like the characters are having a conversation about an idea and I appreciate that and then 99 was this amazing year of all of these movies that were You know, you can have movies that are fun but don't really have a lot to say. You can have movies that have a lot to say but they're very talky and maybe not a lot of stuff going on. And then 99, you had Fight Club, The Matrix, American Beauty, Being John Malkovich, The Iron Giant, Magnolia, Arlington Road, Office Space, Three Kings. These movies that were like fun and funny and entertaining to watch but also were like grappling with an idea and really making you, you know, trying to challenge you to think about things a little bit and sort of step outside. Weirdly, half of them are about a board office worker corporate office worker who Gee, has to sort of yeah. get out of his life you know
1: <laughs> bizarre how that all comes together
0: so so i think i think that was um a huge part of it and you know i think the the problem with fight club is that people think tyler should be taken seriously which like we, that we absolutely need to get into this a lot but i think that what i like about all of these movies was they were saying like hey maybe life the way you know your parents told you it should be is not the best way to be happy. Maybe you should think about things. Maybe you should reconsider your your choices and that kind of thing. Uh, and I think people maybe thought Fight Club went too far on the edge because it's like, no, he's not telling you go live in an abandoned house. It's just saying like maybe, <laughs> maybe don't like maybe you don't need that that you know striped green couch to feel happy with your life. Maybe you can be happy on your own. You know uh, that kind of thing. So I think it was more less about this movie itself and more just about the fact that movies were doing this thing around that time that that I just really gravitated towards where I would watch a movie and then want to talk about it with my friends for hours afterwards and think about what implications it had and that kind of thing and it doesn't mean you have to take any movie as religion which again is what movies like Fight Club can do for people but it does mean you can take a movie as philosophy that makes you consider things that make you makes you think about things in a, in a, in a, and while also being entertaining as hell at the same time and I think that's what I appreciate about especially Fight Club it's so irreverent and funny and weird <laughs> like while also doing all those other things and, and I think that maybe being brought up on, on A Clock records to Doucher Boy Killers I, I keep using those and even Rocky Horror Picture Show honestly oh that's movies another, about, yeah for sure right movies where the, the main character is like not you're not supposed to like Lost Highway I think all of these movies um, with the exception maybe of Seven the main characters are awful horrible people the movie is like literally showing you a fun scene of them murdering somebody or something and I'm like I personally don't watch that and think like, yeah, murder's fun. I watch that and go, no, the movie is entertaining me and telling me something and and you know talking about a theme. So I think for me, one of the reasons why I always get surprised when people criticize Fight Club, saying like. Oh, but Tyler says this, and that's not true, or I don't agree with the thing Tyler says. I'm like, yeah, you're not supposed to agree with him. (laughs) Like you're supposed, you're maybe supposed to be challenged by him and stuff. But, but again, it's like when I grew up watching movies with just terrible protagonists, I pretty quickly was able to separate myself from thinking that the movie is telling me the way that this person is acting is like a good way to act. You know, one thing I find interesting is a lot of movies, Reservoir Dogs or something, it's like, here's all these bad people doing bad things, and now at the end they're all dead. So it's like there's a pretty clear, you know, message there. But then there are movies like Clockwork Orange and Natural Born Killers. I won't spoil the ending for anyone who hasn't seen it, but the protagonists don't get the comeuppance you maybe would expect which can be frustrating at first until you realize oh the movie's not about them the movie is about the society surrounding them so the movie is making right. commentary on on the fact that they are sort of able to get away with with it because of how media is treating them and how society is treating them, that kind of thing you know and i think fight club is doing that too where it's sort of um put it this way we get very used to movies where we like the protagonist in in hollywood and that kind of thing it's like look what what a good guy hugh grant is and i like him a lot and nothing he does is wrong therefore that's what all movies are you know and then <laughs> when you see a movie where the protagonist is questionable, then for, I think for most of us, we can look at it and go, oh, I get it. You're showing me a bad person. And what is that going to say about this movie? For some people, maybe they're like, wait a minute, I don't want to watch a movie about a person who is doing bad things. Like that's not what movies should be. So I think it's it can be tricky for some people sometimes.
1: These are all movies about people who engage with, in terrible behavior, but they are the protagonist. The key is to make it compelling is to make the characters compelling to make the characters interesting to make the characters motivations really strong you can find yourself in those motivations but you're not as you said you know don't replicate them but simply view them as a as like a canvas for which you can see other things and I think Tyler Durden and even the narrator which you know we can talk about them as the same person we can talk about them separately they're both terrible both personifications of them are terrible in a number of ways they both do terrible things but the movie obviously condemns Tyler Durden you know obviously by the end the narrator has feels the need to shoot himself in order to get rid of Tyler Durden and we we acknowledge what Tyler Durden does is bad but as you said the narrator learns a lot of things about himself through the journey he takes with Tyler Durden and ultimately he is better off even though he is deeply scarred both literally and metaphorically he has learned a lot about himself and he has confronted a lot of issues about himself that's why fight club works and that's why it sucks that you know a lot of people can't really read those things right but the the great thing about this genre this sort of the unlikable protagonist genre is that there's different levels you know something like a nightcrawler is very different from fight club because nightcrawler it's very clear that lou bloom who's the main character of nightcrawler is irreputable and not a good person and does bad things but his motivations are compelling and are an extension of a good motivation, which is that he works hard and he feels the need that he has to work hard to get what he wants. It's just obviously to a level that is unacceptable in fight club. You have sort of a different, uh, it's a little bit different because the narrator and Tyler Durden sort of represent two different sides of a coin, which sort of makes them interesting films to compare and contrast in that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I was thinking about this a lot. Um, While preparing for this, I think it's interesting when people think a movie character is supposed to be taken seriously and when they don't. So I think on one end of the spectrum, you have a character like Jack Torrance, the Joker, Hannibal Lecter, Anton Chigurh, even Lou Bloom from Nightcrawler, where it's like if people quote them and dress like them, no one really minds because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's the bad guy. You know, that's the character who is like very clearly over the top not to be taken seriously in the sense of like, we know these movies are not communicating. Like, isn't this person right about everything? Shouldn't you go kill your family? Shouldn't you eat people? Whatever, you know? I think the social network, Scott Pilgrim, High Fidelity, where the main characters are empathetic, but they're they're assholes right like they're they're not they're not doing good things and you sort of realize they're not going to do good, doing good things as you go but they're still presented as like but here is your protagonist you are kind of cheering for them you are kind of hoping they get what they want you know every once in a while I'll read like uh, uh i was reading a feminist critique of high fidelity recently for instance and another um,
1: great movie to throw into this pantheon
0: they were saying like well i don't agree that i don't like that Rob does this and John Cusack is you know my sweet 80s boy and I don't like that he's doing this and saying this and I'm like well yeah you're not supposed to like and I think that's the thing that, that always drives me the wrong way is these movies are all about flawed protagonists who either learn their lesson at the end or who are brought down at the end you know I love that social network ends in such a shitty way for Mark like he yeah he sort of gets everything he wants and is still just miserable and to me like yeah that's the point of, of that movie um, yes. and then but then I think people say yeah but They're the protagonist and you're kind of rooting for them and you're having fun watching them. And I think they'll start saying like the the movie is glorifying their behavior, but it's like, well, if you're going to show me an unlikable character, uh, movies are entertainment. So like, I want to be entertained. and, And I, the same way that if Joker makes a pencil disappear, I can have fun watching that without thinking that's something I think someone should do. I should also be able to watch a protagonist do something, you know, be mean to somebody and think, okay, I don't like you. I don't agree with you. But also that was a fun scene. And like, maybe I had a good time watching it and that kind of thing. And I I can separate those things because I understand the movie is not saying you should be like this. So then, finally, you have this interesting subgenre of movies that I love, where you have two diametrically opposed main characters who represent opposite takes on a theme, and they spend a lot of time together. And the the three that I've been thinking about the most are Fight Club, Collateral, and Swingers. You wouldn't think Swingers would be in that same thing, but yeah, but Swingers hear me is out.
1: definitely not in that other pantheon. But we'll go with <laughs> right. it. But we'll go with
0: it. But speaking of Collateral, Michael Mann does this all the time. Yes, Public Enemy, Collateral is um, like a great example. Right. Yeah. Heat, The Insider. He has a ton of movies about two characters with like opposing philosophies who are or butting heads. That's, I mean, Um, that's just
1: good screenwriting.
0: Right. The conflict is, is built into it. So these are movies where the protagonist is not really committing to life. He needs someone to bring him out of his shell. So then this other character steps in to do that, but the other character isn't necessarily a good person and and they're often the antagonist or they're sort of revealed to be the antagonist over the course of the movie. So again, the movie is not saying you should be like the antagonist, but they are saying if there's a sliding scale from protagonist to antagonist, the protagonist needs to sort of move along that scale, maybe in in that. And of course it's not a two dimensional sliding scale, but they need to kind of be brought out. They (laughs) can maybe need to listen to that a little bit. The main thing to remember is all three of these movies end with the antagonist being defeated at the end. The, the protagonist may be in a better place for having met them, but that doesn't mean they also learned the antagonist is not right about life. You know, they maybe help pull me into this like place of balance, but both people are right and both people are wrong. Like, Collateral is a good example. Like, the protagonist is right about, you know, how to be a human being, but he's wrong about not living his own life and stuff. Vincent is right about maybe his philosophy on doing things and actually getting things done he's not right about murder and things like that so again it's it's like whenever someone's like, I don't agree with this character. It's like, well, you're not supposed to agree with them. They are there to challenge you. They're there to challenge the protagonist. And at the end of the movie, they are brought down and, and therefore are, you know, hopefully you should realize that as the movie saying, hey, Tyler Durden's philosophy ended, turned into Project Mayhem. Tyler Durden's philosophy turned into the protagonist literally having to shoot himself in the face just to get rid of this side of him, you know? And don't get me wrong. I, I love Tyler's lines. I was totally quoting them and, and saying, you know, well, working jobs we hate so we don't, we can buy shit we don't need. Every- Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Because I also think he makes a good point. I think Vincent and Collateral makes a good point. I think that that is what makes these movies challenging and interesting and fun is that the antagonists are making good points even if they're not the character to be sort of trusted and and that you're supposed to be getting behind and rooting for.
1: End of rant. That was, I mean, that was a great illustration, first of all, of everything. I think you encapsulate the point really well. The fascinating thing about Fight Club, which I think makes it the quintessential version of this, is, you know, not only does it ultimately condemn the horrible protagonist, which I think, you know, is very important in films like this and there are films that I've seen that do end up glorifying, you know, horrible protagonists, which is when you sort of, you know, I think when movies at times can fail or maybe become too indulgent in this trope. Fight Club ultimately condemns the protagonist, but it also the twi- that's why the twist really adds a whole other layer of brilliance to it because the narrator is Tyler Durden so the antagonist is literally a representation of a character's own problems
0: you were looking for a way to change your life you could not do this on your own all the ways you wish you could be that's me I look like you want to look I am smart capable and most importantly I'm free in all the ways that you are not
1: this character's emotional problem, the character's flaws are fully personified by the unlikable protagonist character. It's a perfect way of doing this unlikable protagonist trope successfully.
0: And then Fight Club is interesting because as you pointed out, uh, the narrator is not like a great guy, but he's sort of a normal guy. You know, he, he's, he's like obviously co-opting the support groups and stuff like that at the end. So, you know, he's, he's doing stuff that we don't really agree with, but he's sort of just a bland vanilla person until he meets Tyler. But then what's smart here is as the narrator gets sucked into Tyler's philosophy, now we have the very important character of Marla. First of all, she's seeing things through Marla's eyes, which is she's seeing this one person act like two people, and that's crazy, right? right? But even forgetting about the twist, Marla becomes our sort of audience character. The more unlikable the narrator gets, the more we are watching the movie through Marla's eyes and going, you know or even Bob Meatloaf's character to a, to a lesser yeah. extent, you yeah. know, because he is the sort of, like, he is the character who we're like, oh, like, I, I, I care about you. Kind of the resume character in Nightcrawler, the character where are like, I just want to give you a hug and get, take you away from these horrible people. But then also I think that what what is smart in the Project Mayhem act of this movie is that the the space monkeys are so ridiculous in their sort of cultishness and and all that kind of stuff that it becomes so clear that the movie is saying this is not good behavior, right? So then now the narrator starts to become our likable protagonist again because we're seeing him go, hang on this isn't what I wanted. I wanted to go punch each other and cry. Like I didn't want to, uh, you know, I didn't want to start like burning down buildings and that kind of thing. And I think it's a great moment where as the narrator sort of gone far and farther away from our or we are becoming misaligned with the narrator in the second act of this movie. The third act gets us back on track with him where he's like, this shit has gone too far. I need to, I need to help get back on track. And we're like, okay, now I'm rooting for you again because, because you, you've, you have seen the light of day and you've seen that this philosophy is not a way to live your life, which is why people shouldn't quote Tyler Durden as if everything he says is, <laughs> is gospel because the yes. movie is showing you that that's insane.
1: Yes, I, I, I think the, the character of Marla, I think is very easy to dismiss. When you first Mm, watch the film, because she is so much on the sidelines for a good portion of the film. But as you mentioned, bringing her in towards the end when the narrator is forced to recognize his own follies and his emotional problems, which is heavily understated in this movie, but looking on it with a modern lens now is such an important part of this film. That scene with them in the diner is such an important scene. And it's that scene, you know, I think is really the heart of the film. And that moment on the bus is so great. Like, them acknowledging this unspoken, messy relationship that they have with each other is really just a beautiful moment and helps us remember the emotional heart of this film before we get into the the incredibly chaotic third act. The full extent of our relationship wasn't really clear to me up until now for reasons i'm not gonna go into but the important thing is i, I know that i haven't been treating you so nice. yeah whatever no no no, no. F- 15 seconds 15 seconds please please 15 seconds don't open your mouth or move I'm-, I'm trying to tell you that i'm sorry because what i've come to realize is that i, I really like you marla you
0: no, do i really do
1: and it's just like it's so annoying when these films so beautifully illustrate these ideas i think fight club is one of the best ones to illustrate this idea but i feel like when a film is also entertaining and i mean fight club is a really badass movie i mean it has a lot of great <laughs> scenes and has a lot of really compelling fun moments i mean the, the you know the projection scene is you know a classic <laughs> right. a classic scene but when you have those entertaining funny moments aesthetics tend to get conflated with characters and ideas. My film appreciation teacher in high school would always say, you watch a film first as a consumer and then second as an artist. And I think that that really holds true. And, And
0: I would argue, and third, as a
1: philosopher... And third, as a philosopher. There you go. Do you know Let's what I mean? Add, I will yeah. send that to my teacher and we'll we'll add that to the chart. <laughs> right. Because especially with a movie like Fight Club or The Matrix, you have those all these aesthetics that are meant to wow you and to compel you. And then, I mean, especially with the Fight Club with a twist with the twist that is so iconic as in Fight Club, it's going to require two or three viewings. So that way you can see how everything is laced together. And I mean, gosh, a second viewing of Fight Club is like it's a whole other movie.
0: I think what's cool about Fight Club is it works without the twist.
1: I would even go so far as to say that if the person knew the twist
0: going in,
1: they would still be fascinated by the film because the film, that twist elucidates so much more about the film. In fact, I saw the film recently with somebody who could tell. They had, a, they had an idea of what the twist was very early on in those initial scenes where Marla and the narrator are talking to each other in the kitchen. You won't believe this dream I had last night. Yeah, I can hardly believe anything about last but... night. What, what are you doing here? What? This is my house. What are you doing in my house? He had a sense of what the twist was going to be, but he still really enjoyed the movie because the twist... Is, is like layered into this film so deeply. It's, like a, it's a foundational part of the movie, so much so that it doesn't ruin the movie by knowing it. It just makes it even better. It makes it even more interesting to watch. Are you enjoying this episode of My Favorite Movie Is? Did you wish it was jam-packed with even more insightful conversation and no ads to interrupt? Well, you're in luck. If you sign up for our Patreon right now, you can get access to an ad-free and uncut version of this episode, featuring our full conversation from when we started rolling to when we cut. You'll also get access to other cool perks like commentary tracks, personalized video shoutouts, and access to the patron zone in our Discord community in which you can see early drafts and works in progress and help give us feedback to make the show even better. And if you can believe it, all of this is available for just $5 a month. Go to patreon.com slash mfmipodcast or click the link in the show notes to become a patron today. Now, back to the show. I want to move on to uh, another topic. I want to talk a little bit about uh, David Fincher. Fight Club is such a bizarre film to rewatch when you look at David Fincher now in the 2010s lens, which rhymes and is fun. I think a lot of people, when they think of Fincher, they think of films like Social Network, Gone Girl, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, films that all have this very cold, calculated, you know, very, I mean, obviously the static shots are are popular (laughs) with Fincher in a number of his films, but there is a precision in those films that is very different when you look at films like seven or the game or films from his earlier work. And even in his music video work, when he was doing stuff with Madonna, you know, when you're, when you're looking at the sort of dichotomy in his filmmaking fight club is this sort of synthesis. What's interesting about it is that you have Tyler Durden and the narrator and the narrator sort of represents this newer Fincher versus Durden who sort of represents the older Fincher Seven style Fincher, yeah yeah I mean it's obviously Brad Pitt which is a funny connection but it sort of does feel like the film b- brings these stylistic elements into synthesis and I was wondering and I mean this is something that we when we were talking about it you brought up that you sort of feel the same way in that the film sort of it brings these two Fincher styles together and I was wondering if you wanted to comment on that
0: i love grimy fincher i think um seven and blade runner are two movies where fincher didn't make blade runner in case anyone thinks i I think that um but (laughs) seven and blade runner are two movies where i feel like you can just reach out and touch like the the rain and the grime and 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 sort of they just feel like i love the aesthetic of those movies for as ugly as it is i just love the aesthetic of those movies and then a movie like the social network or Gone Girl. They are movies about sort of like rich, white, clean people, you know? So it's like it makes sense to shoot them from, as you were saying, this very crisp, clean, kind of cold lens. But then I think Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is one of these movies where I'm like, oh, Fincher's doing another serial killer movie. And, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are doing the score. And like the, the first picture you saw of Rooney Mara was so badass and cool. And like. <laughs> Ugh and then what do you get you get this very clean crisp almost sterile yes. movie and I, and i yes. love that movie and i think it's i think it's really well done but i miss dirty fincher i miss the sort of fincher that is making movies that feel like seven and i really think it's about the the medium fitting the um or the style fitting fitting the, the medium in the story I guess so that's why I right. think like clean crisp Fincher makes perfect sense for social networking Gone Girl and and Gr- grimy Fincher makes perfect sense for Seven and in my mind Girl with the Dragon Tattoo but he went a different way with that and as as we were saying, Fight Club is this really cool marriage of those two things, where you have the kind of clean cut shots, which are often around, like the IKEA reveal of of the narrator's room and that kind of thing. And then, which you is have wild, by the, the way.
1: By the way, even in '99, that effect yeah. still holds up really well.
0: Yeah, it's funny. The CG in this movie is like it's it holds up pretty well, I think largely because it's never meant for you to think that it's real. When I'm watching, you know, his face blow up or I'm watching like the camera go around the stove burner or something like that, I, I don't think Fincher was ever even in 99 was like, they're going to think we got a tiny camera and spun it around. It's like, no, you're showing me <laughs> a very stylized shot to prove a point of what you're doing. Um, and I think that works. So so yeah, it's a, it's a really cool marriage of like the two Finchers, basically.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the CGI. I was curious about your take on it because I am a firm believer that, you know, the Sort of photorealism trend and visual effects is only good when it services the story, you know, and it's not something that breaks a movie for me. You know, I don't think a movie needs to look the most real or really feel realistic if the story doesn't need to function that way. Fight Club is a great example because, you know, those CG scenes feel very artificial. They feel very Mm -hmm. plastic. They feel very fake. I agree with you that I don't think Fincher was... I mean, I do think there was a part of it that was like, look at all this cool stuff we can do when we do CGI. But there is a part of it that, which is the more interesting part to me, which is this doesn't feel right. It feels like it's, it almost feels too much. Like I feel like I'm too into it. Like I feel like, you know, when I'm literally inside the narrator and you know, when we're literally going down the barrel of the gun, I feel almost kind of like displaced. There is something bizarre about watching those sequences, especially 10 years later. And I think of course the last one, when you know, the narrator shoots himself, is probably the most indicative of this for me because to me that cgi represents sort of all the things about the narrator that we really don't like the sort of Mm -hmm. um the artificialness of his character and by showing that in the scene where he shoots himself it kind of feels like he's destroying that alongside tyler durden he's really finding that balance that you mentioned before and so when you're watching all these moments like the Ikea moment and where, you know, the fridge, when we see how the apartment exploded is another great example. When you see the gas burner in the fridge, it does feel like these fake things that don't really exist, which is exactly what the narrator is projecting. A lot of what the narrator is projecting is not real. It's completely in his own brain. So, you know, I think a lot of people could watch Fight Club and say like, oh, well, wow, that CGI looks so fake. You know, like and it was obviously ninety nine so, like, you know, go figure. But, like, I like that. I think that's that was a very pointed choice that Fincher made that I think makes the film odd ironically enough. Stand the test of time.
0: Fincher does love to do look what we can do. You yes, know? he's so it's, showy. So network. the characters are twins, are we going to hire twins? No, we're going to hire two guys <laughs> who are similar size. We're going to make one of them both yes. parts. We're going to put his face on his face. Okay, they're standing outside now, and they're they're cold, so they can just shiver, right? We'll get it. No, we're going to add CG smoke uh, or, or uh, breath coming out of their their mouths. You know,
1: what's really fascinating about this film is that it obviously is, as you said, irreverent and grimy, and just so many. Oh my god, the abandoned house is so gross. I, I still get I still get gross out you know like when he like brushes his teeth with like the brown water and like ugh. uh it, it does have this sliminess that seven also has the cgi moments along with a lot of the cinematography is very precise there is a precision the camera movements um the way in which Um, the narrator and Tyler interact with each other. There are all of these very, very detailed moments that only somebody like Fincher could really have so much control over. Obviously, Fight Club, I do think stands out in Fincher's filmography, just because I do think he has made such a transition. But there is that precision. There are these camera movements, and there are these tropes in there that like, you know you're watching something Fincher-esque. Brian, this has been a great conversation. Love talking about Fight Club with you. We have one last segment on our show that we end off with, which is the MFMI lightning round. Lightning sound effects here. Um, And this is the part of the show where we just go through some superlatives about the film. Pick your brain a little bit about what your favorite parts of the film are and moments that stick out to you. And, you know, it's going to be tough. These are very tough questions, but give me as impulsive as an answer as you can. Favorite scene?
0: The bar scene is nice. It's a little a bit of an obvious one where, where Tyler and, and the narrator are really sitting down for the first time, but it is a nice setup of these of the theme of the movie and these characters' relationships. Now, why do guys like you and I know what a tefei is? Is this essential to our survival in the hunter-gatherer sense of the word? No. What are we then? We're the consumers. Right. We are consumers. We are byproducts of a lifestyle obsession. Murder, crime, poverty, these things don't concern me. What concerns me are celebrity magazines, television with 500 channels, some guy's name on my underwear, Rogaine, Viagra, Olestra. things you own end up owning you. It also ends with these two ideals literally fighting each other, <laughs> and I think it's a nice sort of setup for what the rest of the movie is going to be, is that these opposing characters are going to actually, they are going to be at odds.
1: My favorite scene probably has to be when Edward Norton beats himself up in his boss's office.
0: Oh, it's so good.
1: Uh, it's a brilliant scene, but it also is incredibly great foreshadowing for the, yeah, for the
0: twist. Of course. Favorite line. Let me see if I can get this right. It's company policy never to imply ownership in the event of a dildo. It's always a dildo, never your dildo.
1: Yes, that is a great...
0: That's my favorite line. To
1: be honest, though, my favorite line from that scene is... It's usually like an like a electric razor nine times out of ten, but sometimes... And you think he's going to say like a bomb or something? He's like, right. it's a dildo or it's a vibrator. He looks around to make sure no one's listening. <laughs> it's a vibrator. Favorite shot or sequence of shots?
0: I think the the Ikea reveal of Jack's uh, apartment. It's sort of satirical, but it's also impressive and it's fun.
1: <laughs> Favorite song or piece of score featured in the film?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many. The opening theme is awesome. The, the homework assignment where they have to start a fight that that's another example of the music <laughs> yes that's a great so playful. piece of music there yeah hey watch out jackass come on Now this is not as easy as it sounds.
1: Favorite set or location?
0: It's gotta be the Paper Street house. It's so filthy, it's so great, it's so (laughs) grimy, like you said, the brown water.
1: When they start working on it, it actually starts looking livable. I'm like, you know what? Uh, (laughs) You know what, with with an extreme makeover home edition episode, this could like, this could happen. Favorite piece of trivia or behind the scenes know-how?
0: It's actually not trivia or anything, but there are these two PSAs that Edward Norton did one and Brad Pitt did one. That I don't know if they ever like actually showed it before a theater, but it's them sort of starting out their PSA as like the exits are located here and here, and that you know oh, please wow. do whatever. They
1: did like movie, uh, the movie yeah. instructions with the Fight Club characters. I have to, find but then those. they
0: turn crazy by the end. <laughs>
1: <laughs> favorite reaction when you've told somebody that this is one of your favorite movies.
0: The most common reaction is just like, "Oh, Brad Pitt is so ripped in that." <laughs> It's I obvious. mean by
1: the end of the movie they just know. They just know yeah. and they're just selling the merchandise at the by the end. Right. By the time they buzz cut him, which is such an iconic Brad Pitt look by the way, like with the buzz and like with the yeah. shirt, they know. If you had to pair Fight Club with another film to make a double feature, what would it be? And the only stipulation I'm putting is obviously no other Fincher films.
0: I think a double header that starts with American beauty and ends with Fight Club would be great Two 1999 films about a bored office worker who quits his job when he begins to wake up and really see the world, but he takes it too far and maybe goes from one end of the one end of the spectrum to the other. And, you know, has to figure out what the balance is and may or may not uh, (laughs) be okay at the end put it that way.
1: Yes. It's another great film in the discussion of the unlikable protagonist, American Beauty. The last question, Brian, in the battle of your two favorite movies, which movie loses to Fight Club?
0: I would say Labyrinth.
1: Labyrinth. Interesting.
0: I grew up watching it um, from the age of probably 12 or something like that. And I just love it. I love David Bowie. I love Jennifer Connelly. I love Jim Henson. It's written by Terry Jones of Monty Python. It's produced by george lucas you know all this stuff but also it's it's another movie that has stuff to say like you can you watch that movie once and you're like that was fun and you watch it a few times and you're like ooh, there's like a there's like a kind of a dark and interesting thing going on here with what the protagonist is going through and was any of this movie even real and and if not what does that mean and where is she at the all that kind of stuff
1: it's interesting very similar to fight club there's sort of the exterior factors that you love exactly and then yeah there's the There's the core of it. Oh man, this was so much fun. Brian, thank you for being here. It was such a pleasure to have you. Let the people know where they can find you, where they can see all your great work.
0: Uh, Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun and uh, always happy to talk about Fight Club and Fincher. I am on Twitter at Brian Bittner, B-R-I-A-N-B-I-T-N-E-R. And you can find us on uh, your podcast app at Beyond the Screenplay and you can find us at YouTube. We have a beyond the screenplay youtube also and lessons from the screenplay and story mode basically just follow us on twitter and then we'll you'll see all of our stuff from as it happens
1: brian it was so great to have you on the show i hope to in the future have your fellow uh bts uh and lfts team members on the show as well uh but in the meantime it was great having you here thanks for being here and uh i hope you got as much out of this conversation as i got out of it
0: yeah it was great thanks so much
1: Guys, I gotta give a huge thank you to Brian for being on the show. Uh, Beyond the Screenplay is one of my favorite film podcasts. In fact, it is one of the inspirations for this very podcast. So to have him on was like, kind of surreal. Uh, I'm trying to keep chill, but it's kind of surreal. So uh, thank you so much to Brian for giving us his time and for being on the show. And of course, check out Lessons from the Screenplay and Beyond the Screenplay and Story Mode and all of the amazing work he's doing on all of those channels you heard it from me it's mfmi approved and of course we have to give a big thank you to you the viewer For listening to this episode I seriously I I really Really do Appreciate it And just a reminder You can follow us On your podcasting App of choice For new episodes Of My Favorite Movie Is Which go live Every other Monday And If you like Video podcasts Like me Who doesn't love A good video podcast Uh, We do have A YouTube channel Where we post Video versions Of every episode The Friday After it drops Uh, We don't have A channel link yet Because we need To get 100 subscribers For us to do that Uh, Please subscribe So we can do that Um, But you know Just Search for my favorite movie is in the search bar and hopefully uh you'll find us. And uh subscribe, hit the notification bell, support the show on YouTube, and get notified when new episodes go live. We are on social media at MFMI Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We post some fun sneak peek clips. We also post reminders when new episodes go live, and we'll be posting some fun bonus content very soon. I promise. We're working on some really great content right now, but uh in the meantime, you know, retweet, like follow do all those buzzwords on the social platforms to help spread the word about the show and give us some support we really we really do appreciate it also if you listen on itunes you should review us i don't know why i haven't been pushing this harder but apparently on itunes the reviews are pretty uh, important so if you could take five minutes out of your day to just leave us a review five stars i hope and uh, some comments about what you like about it uh it's a very small deed that has a huge impact on the show's success so thank you in advance for that if you choose to support us and as always for more information about the show as well as a full catalog of audio and video episodes you can go to mfmipodcast.com that's our website we also have an email for any concerns or questions uh, hello at mfmipodcast.com that's also there for your convenience so many ways to get in touch so many ways to support the show and tell us how much you love us. And I think that just about does it for this week's episode. Uh, Until next time, thanks for listening. My Favorite Movie Is is a Larry Fried Presents production. It is executive produced, created, hosted, and directed by me, Larry Fried, and is also produced by me alongside Brian Novak, who is also the assistant director of this episode. Our editors are myself, as well as Clayton and Kimberly Allen. Our graphic designer is Monica Sarmiento. Our motion graphics designer is Elton Greenfield. And our theme song, Now and Then, as well as all original music featured on this show, is performed and composed by. By Matt Gorduke. For this episode, our camera operator was Rob Bond. Our sound recordist was producer Brian Novak, and our production assistant was Jason Lopez. Thank you all so much for your help in making this show possible. Everybody's links and websites and portfolios and what have you are all available down in the show notes below. My name is Larry Fried, and this has been my favorite movie is.